Our scripture will be from John chapter 18, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this, of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once 
a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priests, have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word today to us. I thank you, God, that you, you love so much that you went to the ultimate degree to follow through with the perfect plan of God. And Father, as we look into your word today and apply your word to our life, I pray that we would follow in your steps. I pray that we would decide to follow you, to trust you, to carry out the fulfillment of your will for each of our lives. So guide us as we continue to worship together through your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to open your Bible to John chapter 18 as we begin a three-week look at following Jesus, not just to the cross, but to the cross and, and the resurrection. Uh, we, we live in a world of chaos and confusion. I think you would agree with that. Pressure comes from every direction that causes tension and causes strife and causes problems. There's an institute called the Institute for Economic Peace in our country. And I took some time this week to read the most recent reports from the Institute for Economics and Peace. And as hard as I tried looking at each one of those reports, I came to determine that the, the Institute has proven the fact that in our world today, there is no peace. 
Everywhere you look, any country you want to look in, uh, there's strife. Here's where they are missing it. They said that peace would come through cultural and economic and political factors. Peace will never come through cultural or political or economic factors. There's only one way to truth, one way to peace, and that is through the King of Peace, Jesus Christ Himself. In John's Gospel, before we get to chapter 18, we need to look at some of the backstory leading up to John chapter 18. In John chapter 14, Jesus describes the path to, to peace. In John chapter 14 and verse 1, Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. So a troubled heart is the opposite of a peaceful heart. Do you see it? He said, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And so the path to peace in the mind of Jesus and the path to peace in reality in our life today can only come through Jesus Christ. In verse 27 of that John chapter 14, listen to what Jesus said. He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so once again, Jesus describes the model for peace. And the model for peace comes through the person of peace, who is Jesus Christ, the King of Peace. Jesus actually prayed in John chapter 17, just prior to just John chapter 18. Jesus prayed for His disciples to have and know the kind of peace that He offers. He prayed for those who would follow Him which today includes you and me. And so Jesus really got excited about praying for peace for people who would follow Him. And I hope you feel the power of that prayer from the life of Jesus today. Peace begins with a personal, persistent prayer that is connected to the heart of God and that reflects the fact that you and I are dependent on God to provide for us and to care for us. And thus He provides peace for those who choose to follow Him. That night before Jesus went to the cross, He agonized in prayer. We see recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospel that Jesus sat down with His disciples and celebrated the Passover meal which has come to us to be known as the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper or Communion. He left that setting and went up to Gethsemane, went out through the Kidron Valley, up the, up the mountain uh, to Gethsemane. Often he had gone with his disciples there and prayed. It was a, a common path for them to trod. He left his disciples and he went a little further up the mountain and he, he prayed, the Bible says, agonizing. Sweating as though it were drops of blood. Jesus was in agony, but he was also totally at peace. Agonizing over taking upon himself your sin and my sin, but at total peace that he was fulfilling the Father's will. 
Remember three different times he came back and checked on his disciples. He had asked them to pray for him while he went away ahead and, and prayed. What were they doing all three times? They were sound asleep. They were sawing logs. And so he came back one time, two times, three times, woke them up and said, please pray with me. And yet, during the time that Jesus was praying, they were sleeping. Jesus taught for us by his example that the pathway to peace from the heart of the king of peace comes through prayer. And Jesus asked his disciples to join him in that, in that prayer process. I want to challenge you and me today not to let sleep or anything Take the place of us staying connected to God in prayer because there is no peace outside of staying connected to God. And the way we stay connected to God best is to follow the model of the King of Peace and pray. Constantly pray. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18, or chapter 5 and verse 17, pray without ceasing. In other words, we can go through life and keep our attitude like Jesus, set on our mission, continuing to communicate with God in prayer. Most Wednesday nights, I have the privilege of hanging out with my grandson, Benjamin, while Morgan and Allie come over for their small group. Every Wednesday night, we've been doing this for uh, uh, several months now, maybe even a year or so, every time they leave to come over for their small group the first thing Benjamin and I do is get down on our knees and we pray now Benjamin just turned three last week but you would be amazed at the prayers of a three-year-old for his parents how much more is it important for you and me to stay on our knees before Jesus or while we're driving down the road or while we're at work or while we're uh, in our recreational activities, having the mindset of prayer and knowing that we're in touch with God. It's an awesome thing. One time recently, Benjamin and I were reading a book. I was sitting on the sofa. He was sitting just snuggled right up close to me. It was such a, a sweet time as I was reading to him. And I felt his little finger come up on the side of my face. And he said, Ra-Ra, what's that? And it was, a, it was just a little scratch on the side of my face. But it was so incredible to me that he was close enough to me to see the smallest little scratch that was on my face. How much closer should we be staying to Jesus in our relationship with him so that as he puts his finger on the spots in our life and points out boo-boos in our life, we recognize the fact that he's pointing something out that we need to pay attention to. We need to stay close to Jesus in prayer because he is the king of peace. Now we're going to see as we move through John chapter 18 now because we're ready now to move back through the Kidron Valley and move to the place where Jesus was arrested. We need to understand the person of peace and the power in peace and the price of peace for our lives today that comes to us through the King of Peace. So 
Let's look at it. First of all, let's look at the person of peace. In verse 1, here's what John records. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, and he and his disciples entered there. Now get the picture. It's still dark. It's still late at night. Jesus and his disciples have been praying for three, four, five hours. I don't know. But it's still pitch black dark. And they come through the Kidron Valley. It's a well-worn path. Uh, the disciples had been with Jesus many times going in and out of Jerusalem and up into the, 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 Gets, the Gethsemane uh, to pray and walk back down through the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem. Still night. The Kidron Valley was a, a familiar, very worn path, familiar path for the disciples. Look at verse 2. Now Judas, remember, he had been with Jesus many times on that little journey back and forth. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus also met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And so Judas had done a great job crafting this plan to betray Jesus. The Bible says here that he had gotten the chief priests and the Pharisees and some say as many as 600 armored Roman soldiers to form that mob that came out to arrest Jesus. Verse 4, Jesus, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, I want you to get the picture. This is hilarious. I mean, this is just totally hilarious. Here you have a band of Roman soldiers in full armor with weapons and the leaders of the religious uh, sect of the day in Jesus' day. They form this mob. They come out. They say, you know, where's Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, I'm he. And they just like dominoes. They just clank over backwards. They fall. I don't know whether out of fear or why they did, but they all fell down. At one time, making a loud noise. Jesus had been betrayed by Judas. In verse 7, they asked him again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He answered, I told you, I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. And so there was absolutely Nothing but peace in the heart of Jesus when this mob came out to confront him. The king of peace had a heart of peace because he knew his mission and he knew this was part of his mission and he was fulfilling this mission. This week I've interacted with a number of people in our community and in our church and there have been circumstances in people's lives this week, and maybe some of you as well, that are scary. Maybe, maybe there are some enemies that have been 
addressing and focusing on you just like they have many other members of our church and our community. And what Jesus has taught us is that when, when our priority and focus is on the mission of God, we can have peace even in the middle of distress. The 11 disciples that stood with Jesus could have been arrested as well. But Jesus stood up for them. He looked at this mob and he said, you know, let's let these men go. I'm the one you want. Let these men go. Each of these men, Jesus knew, still had lessons to learn. They still had work to do. And so he pled on their behalf to the mob to let them go. As I said, many church members and community members this week have been going through potentially fearful moments. I've had some of those in my lifetime as well. And I'm so thankful that we have this example of Jesus to lean back on. He is the King of peace. And when we are walking with Him, when we are walking in His will, when our prayers are connected through Him to God the Father, we can go through any situation with peace because our God and our protector is the King of peace. He's the person of peace. He's the perfect person of peace. And listen to this. He is with every believer. He is for every believer to give us strength in times that potentially could be times of weakness. So then John turns our attention and in the next 28 verses, John is going to go back and forth between the trial that Jesus was on and what appears to be another trial, a trial that was going on in the heart of Simon Peter. But also, I want you to look carefully and listen carefully to God as he communicates this morning. Because that trial that Peter was going through also may be a trial that you are going through today as well. So let's put this in perspective. First of all, the power of peace, John chapter 18 and verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So again, John is weaving Simon Peter into this story. And Peter is on trial. And at this point, as he is on trial, he fails bitterly. Jesus was being arrested according to God's plan. And Peter tried to take things in his own hand. He drew out his sword and said, you know, I'll, I'm going to defend Jesus. I'm going to stand up for him. And yet he was totally out of step with Jesus when he did this. He tried to take matters into his own hands. He was misguided in his thinking. Jesus is the king of peace. So look at what he did in verse 11. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Peter still not listened. He had spent three years almost every day with Jesus. And yet he missed it 
here. He missed what the mission of God in the life of Jesus really was. Jesus knew that his mission was to sacrifice his life and give it on behalf of your sins and my sins and the sin of the world. He knew that God was going to have to pour out his judgment, pour out his wrath on him. And he willingly was taking that step to follow through with receiving God's judgment and God's wrath for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the world. So Jesus was at peace during this time. And yet Simon Peter missed it. In verse 11, Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Now it took great power for Jesus not to look at his 11 disciples and say, It's time to fight, guys. Let's go to it. Let's fight. It took more power for him to step back and receive the arrest of the mob and ask God to ask the mob to let his, his disciples go than it was for him to, to stand and fight. That was his mission, and he was committed to fulfilling it. Verse 12, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. So again, get the picture now, still dark, still nighttime, which was, by the way, illegal to have a trial in the nighttime like that. But regardless, the religious leaders and the Pharisees were rushing to justice because they wanted to beat the deadline of the Passover. Look at verse 14. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Why did Caiaphas make this statement anyway? Well, he was threatened by the Roman government. He wanted to keep peace with the Roman government. And he had no idea that he was speaking words that were truly prophetic, that Jesus would die for the sins of the whole world. Now again, Peter had already denied the power of Jesus at his arrest, but look at verse 15 as we switch back to the story of Simon Peter. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest... He entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. So what did Peter do? He denied the power of God at the arrest and now in the courtyard, while Jesus is starting to be tried, he denies even being a disciple of Jesus. 
I'm not one of his disciples. In our first service this morning, our children in our Learning Center program sang a song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. You remember just a few days earlier, Peter had said, even if I die, I will defend you. And yet here he stands under threat from a servant girl, a servant girl. And he denies even being a disciple of Jesus. So John switches back to the courtroom of Jesus. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me and what I said to them. They know what I've said. And when, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Now, when, you, when, when the officer struck Jesus with the back of his hand, he was, he was identifying Jesus as a hypocrite. That was the sign of, of hypocrisy when uh, you struck someone with the, with the back of your hand. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, If what I've said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Jesus knew that he was not being hypocritical. He knew that he had always spoken the truth. He never said anything except the truth. When Jesus speaks truth into your life and my life, it might sting us as well. We may not have somebody striking us with the back of their hand, but it strikes us when Jesus speaks truth into our life in conflict with the life that we may be living, the habit we may be performing, the action we may be taking. And at this point, when the officer struck Jesus, Annas knew that the trial was out of his hands. And so in verse 24, Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, I don't know what picture you have in your mind, but to picture Jesus being bound when he willingly gave himself up, being dragged from the court of Annas to the court of Caiaphas and then to the court of Pilate. It's a sad day. It demonstrates, though, how much Jesus loves you. And how much he loves me to willingly go through with what he knew was coming. So in verse 25, again we go back to Simon Peter. Simon Peter was standing and warming himself and they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. I can't imagine what Peter must have felt when that rooster crowed. 
Now, there's some obvious lessons that we can learn from Peter. Let me just share a few thoughts with you about lessons that I've learned that come from this episode with Peter. First of all, Peter should have been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane rather than sleeping. Don't you think he would have had a little more power to stand up for Jesus if he had been praying instead of sleeping? And additionally, Peter turned to his own resources. He drew out his sword and cut off the servant, the servant's ear instead of trusting the power of God in his life, instead of trusting God's plan in his life. And then Peter thought that he had the will and strength to stand for Jesus. I will die before I will deny you. What pride and arrogance. Because in the time of testing, he bitterly, bitterly failed Jesus. He thought he was strong, but he was really weak. I don't know about you, but I've, I've heard that rooster crow in my life as well. And I'm so ashamed of it. Sometimes being in the wrong crowd. Sometimes being in the wrong place. Sometimes being hypocritical. Jesus always spoke the truth. All of the truth. All of the time. I can't say that that's always been true about my life. Someone once said a believer is always and everywhere either confessing Jesus or denying Him. Every wrong act performed, every duty disregarded or imperfectly discharged, every, indica every indication of a character not conformed to the image of Christ is by the very necessity of the case a denial of our Lord and Savior. The truth of this activity in the life of Peter has revealed in me a need for repentance, a need for a confession and turning around and asking God for forgiveness. And I pray today that before you judge Peter like me, you will examine yourself. So back to the courtroom we go in verse 28, the trial of Jesus. They led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Stop there for a minute. How hypocritical is that? Creating an environment for the illegal trial of Jesus and rushing into that process so you could be religious and follow through with a ritual like Passover. Verse 29, so... Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So they didn't even have a real case, and they knew it. 
Verse 31, Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him on your own law. The Jews said, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So, under cross-examination coming from Pilate, Pilate asked the right question. He said, what is truth? And it set Jesus up to be able to share the fact that truth is Jesus. Truth is in the king of peace. And the only way you can have peace is to have the king of peace. And when you have the king of peace, you know the truth and you have the truth. What is the truth? Well, the truth is that Jesus came into this world for a purpose. He came for the purpose God becoming man, God in the flesh, Jesus, came to this earth and lived that perfect life. And he knew that. He said in John chapter 16 and John chapter 17 that he had perfectly fulfilled his mission. He lived a perfect life. And he was willing to sacrifice that perfect life for your sin and my sin. And we're going to look at that sacrifice next week. But the truth is that Jesus loves you that much. He loves you enough to die for you, to sacrifice his life for you, to exchange your sin for his perfection and give you his perfection and take on himself the judgment of God, the wrath of God. He died for you and me and for the sins of the world. Truth is consistent with the mission and message of Jesus because Jesus is truth. And the only way to find truth is not through culture, not through politics, not through any other way than through Jesus, the King of Peace. He has power to lead you into truth and that truth will set you free from the power of the turmoil of this world by giving you his peace. So the power of truth produces the power of peace produces truth. And finally this morning, let's look at the price for peace. We see that in the last two verses. When Pilate addressed the mob, here's what he said. You have a custom in verse 39 
that I should release one man for you at, at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. One of the greatest sources of pain in the life of Jesus was rejection, being rejected. You know what it's like to feel rejection to some degree. All of us have experienced rejection. It's interesting, the world's way of dealing with rejection is to reject back. If you reject me, I'm going to reject you. That's the end of the story. What does that do? That kills the relationship. It's dead. The relationship is dead at that point. That's not the way Jesus reacted to rejection. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that he came into his own and his own did not receive him. His own people rejected him. But Jesus reversed that. The very people who put Jesus to death, the very people who were trying him and mocking him and ridiculing him, were the very people that he loved. The very people that deny him, that are hypocritical, saying, yes, I love Jesus one day and the next day not standing up for him. Jesus loves you. He died for you. And so his method of dealing with rejection is to love the person that rejects you. That is not of this world. That can only come from God himself. Rejection is a hard reality of life, and Jesus experienced every aspect of rejection, and his reaction was not of this world. His reaction was not to reject back. Where did he get the power to do that? Well, he's the king of peace. He knew his mission. And nothing would stop him from fulfilling his mission. He paid the price so you and I can be at peace. It's interesting, too, this name Barabbas, the person they took instead of Jesus in exchange for Jesus, comes from two Hebrew words. Bar means son. Abba means father. His name meant the son of the father. And isn't it ironic that Jesus Christ, the king of peace, is the true son of the true father. And in giving him over to be sacrificed, he opened the door for you and I to be connected to God like we can in no other way. And when we say yes to him, we receive peace. Pilate asked the right question, what is truth? But unfortunately, he didn't listen to the right answer. Jesus is standing here today and he's saying, what is truth to you? Are you willing to accept him as the true way, the living way to God? Are you willing to accept him into your life and receive from him what only the King of Peace can give. And that's peace to your heart and your life. No, peace will never come through cultural or economic or political factors. Let not your heart be troubled. 
Believe in God, believe also in me. That's where truth and peace come from. So by way of application today, I want to encourage you to draw from the, the, the draw power from the peace that is not of this world. Draw power from the prince and the king of peace who is Jesus Christ himself. Back in my early days, we lived across the farm from my grandparents, about 200 yards. There were pecan trees all over, uh, hundreds and hundreds of pecan trees between our, our two houses. And several times a week, my brothers and I would go on uh, back and forth to our grandparents' house. We had a trail just blazed out. And it reminds me of this beginning of the story of the Kidron Valley where Jesus had the path that he and his disciples had worn out. That's why Judas knew where he was. But uh, often I would, I would be at my grandparents' house and it would be like, after dark, and um, the, full, the moon would be full like it was that night with Jesus where the, the, the Passover was a full moon, and um, that moon would shine on those trees, and those trees would be blowing back and forth in the wind, and it would look like huge, you know, monsters, you know, out there in the, in the field. And so I would get about halfway through the field, and then I would start running as fast as I could, and I would just be terrified Every time I did it, until I got to our yard and climbed under that barbed wire fence and climbed into our yard. And I knew that when I, when I walked into our yard, I was at peace because I was in a place of shelter, a place where I was very familiar. My prayer for you today is that, you know, in the, in the, the shadows and the things that may be torturing your life today, that you'll realize that you can step into the arms of Jesus, step over that fence into the arms of Jesus and experience from Him the peace that passes all understanding because He is the King of peace. God, thank you today that you do offer us a peace that is not of this world. And the only way we can live in the security of that peace is to put our faith and trust in you and to follow the path that you set for us, to follow the pattern that you set for us. And God, when we even pass through the shadow of death, there's no reason for us to fear any evil because you are with us. And God, as we enter this road that takes us to Easter, I pray that you'll draw us close to you, that you'll put your finger on places in our life that need to be exposed. If it's a matter of trusting you, that we've never given our life and heart to you before in faith, that we'll make that decision as you call us to yourself to move out of the fear of this world into the safety and security of your arms. And even though pains may come and go, even though challenges may come and go, we can know that we are safe and secure in the arms of the King of Peace. God, let that be not only the desire of our heart, but humble us today, and let that be the reality of our life. In Jesus' name we pray and continue to worship. Amen.